All right, peeps, on today's episode of The Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of Frank Duke's books under your pillow, lots of, are you Chinese enough to learn from Grandmaster Yip Man? Let's get to it. And every day, I practice martial arts. Watch out. Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? What up, my Sifu? That's what's up. You Gooch? I'm, I'm Gooch. It's uh, a Saturday morning. I'm not man. as caffeinated as I would like to be. Okay. But uh, here we are, ready right. to do another Ask Me Anything episode. Get that Black Dragon Tea. Black Dragon Tea. We are... Uh, <laughs> Straight we are, from the society. Yeah, the Black Dragon Society. Yeah. Yes, right? exactly. Yes. Watch out, because Frank Dukes is going to come here and He's... put his dim mark on your ass. <laughs> if we're talking about tea, why are you not talking to me about it? Huh, that's Because right. we don't drink tea with lemons. Ooh. Hey. Ooh. Hey. Ooh. All right. So There's anyway. No lem- unless we're sick in our ass. Oh, jeez. Dying. Oh, what? Dying. What? Is this going to be Put the Brits on Blast episode <laughs> part six? That's weird. On we, already had a, we already had a Euro trash convention outside of this we podcast did. today. We did. So anyway. Unexpected. Um, we are yeah. recording a number of episodes uh, in advance, as we usually do, but a few more than normal because I am going to be away yeah. from New York for the entire month Not of July. Not cool. So it's cool for me. Not. Uh, so we're recording a lot of episodes because I won't be here. So we need to make sure we have enough episodes uh, for the time when I'm gone. So probably by the time anyone watches this, I'll be like in sunny ass Florida, chilling, doing nothing. You know, so, I always get this separation anxiety. I you don't do. Know why. I know that. Because every year I go to Florida for a month. I don't know why this happens. And you to get, me. yeah, you get I very clean. Yeah. I get pissed. Every and, time and I like, leave, I have to give you an article of clothing that I didn't wash. <laughs> So you can sleep with it. It's very sweet. And uh, yeah. What's up with that? Yeah, I'll sleep in like a Bruce Lee t-shirt and then I'll give it to you, right? And then and then you'll be fine, right? Uh, but yeah, so here we are. Uh, so uh, what do you got for me? I think uh, first out the gate, we got the Mac Attack. Mac Attack or Mad Attack? I think it's Mad Attack. All right, there we go, right. <laughs> I, I'm he has, he has I, one job, which is to I reread read. it. I reread right, it. Got it. It's and, and, and right. Somehow someone edited it okay. before it said Someone Mac else, yeah. Got it. Got yeah, it. yeah so, whatever. Right. It was Dreisen. Yeah. <laughs> right, go for it. Always. All right. Okay, KFG. All right. Ah, I've been nice called, play on letters. I've been called worse. All right, go ahead. <laughs> I have a question. Oh. The supposed prohibition against teaching Chinese martial arts to non-Chinese, was this actually a thing in Yip Man's, na- uh, Yip Man's time? Alternatively, have you heard of the teaching of Westerners ever being an issue among students of Yip Man-like Learn Ting? Thanks for your time and attention. Mm. That's a great question. So uh, basically, is it? it is um, because... Um White people are not the only race that's out there, all right? So, uh, uh, yes, so the the whole thing about Yip Man not Mm -hmm. wanting to teach non-Chinese is absolutely true. But Mm. that is a very, uh, that was a very common attitude among Chinese martial arts sivus at that time. And, of course, you have to understand it's all all contextual to the, um, to that time period, to the culture. Uh, For many 
Chinese in Yip Man's generation and certainly in older generations. Okay. You know, they viewed, rightly so, they viewed foreigners with a great degree of skepticism. What was their motto? You think they had a motto? Well, you know, like, it was a lot you're... of people like Mikey Dean yeah. coming into their country and deciding like, oh, this place called Hong Kong, uh, this is ours, yeah. all right? So they were tight about that. So they so, were like, if you're blonde, you're wrong. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so basically, uh, you know, they, they also suffered a lot of ill treatment from their colonizers, obviously. So it makes a lot of sense that uh, the Chinese would be very skeptical of uh, foreign foreigners in general, Uh, not just the Brits and uh, other Europeans, but obviously also the Japanese who had come in and brutally occupied parts of China and even Hong Kong, uh, especially during the Second World War. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, at that time, especially post-Second World War, a lot of Chinese had a very kind of strong nationalistic feeling because they had just gotten out of a very dark time in their period, you know, the overthrow of the Qing dynasty and then the Republic period. And then, and then you have the, the communists take over and then all these, these people fleeing either to uh, Hong Kong, Macau or Taiwan. And so in order to continue to live, I suppose as, as they would assume like a, like a proper Chinese, like have a proper Chinese life. They had to get out mm. of China uh, especially after 1949. So naturally, they would view a lot of Westerners and foreigners uh, with a great degree of skepticism. It's also interesting that the Chinese word for foreigner, okay, and I'm not talking about guaylo, which is like a derogatory term for, <laughs> oh, no. for uh, Westerners. Okay. Um, the, the, the general term, which, which means people from outside of the country, um, that is a term that Chinese people use to describe non-Chinese people even here in the States. So, mm. like, for example, Chinese who live in Chinatown will see someone like you or me and and essentially call us foreigners uh, here in the States, <laughs> all right? So, uh, because it is it is people who are from outside <laughs> of the country, really right? really cool. Yeah. So, um, so it, it's normal. This this totally was true, mm-hmm. all right, about... What, gre- what's gre- this word? How do you say that word? Um, so in in I'll use the uh, I think in Mandarin they call it why uh, well my Mandarin is terrible why I think in in Cantonese why uh-huh. and so it, it means like uh, which means oi is like outside and guo uh-huh. is country and yan is people so it's like people who are from outside of the country. Oh, okay. But they will even say that when the Chinese themselves live in another country, which is kind of interesting, right? Um, and obviously you have terms like. Uh, Guai uh, Lo, Guai means ghost, and Lo is like person or guy or whatever. <laughs> yeah. like. And the reason why they called uh, foreigners like us Guai Lo is not because we're uh, light skinned and white, so we look like a ghost. It's actually oh. because of our. It's actually because of the round eyes, because in in uh, traditional Chinese culture, demons were always depicted as having very round eyes. Wow. So the first time they saw foreigners who actually had red eyes, we literally looked like the demons they had been depicting on their walls, oh, okay. right? So huh. that that's kind of where that comes from. And, then, and there's a little bit of um, uh, debate as to whether the term guaylo is really like super derogatory because, uh, for example, uh, it, it's one of those terms like in Hong Kong, if someone calls you a guaylo, mm-hmm. it depends how they call you that term, yeah. right? Well, I've been called Casper growing up a lot. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's the same. <laughs> well, <laughs> again, the same it, idea. I think, I think the, the, the tone of how something is said matters a lot, like uh-huh. when it comes to the term guaylo. Um, so, like, if someone, if your kind of friend, your, your Hong Kong Chinese friends kind of 
jokingly call you that, it's not mm-hmm. that big of a deal. But if you like piss off some kind of shop owner and they say say guaylo or something like that, it's a little bit oh. different, right? Oh. So I think it depends on how how it's done. I, I once had a Chinese person call me guaylo somewhat angrily in Hong Kong, and I just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, and perhaps just, just What did you, you do know. to piss him off? No, I, 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 I don't remember, uh, uh, but uh, he, he didn't know that I understood a little bit of uh, a little bit oh, of, yeah. of Chinese, but I just thought it was funny because uh, I, the, the idea that someone is going to try to, to ruin your day by calling you some really shitty derogatory name, mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was funny because that, that Literally, the only power that has is the power that you give to it. Mm-hmm. And I just started laughing. I just thought it was like hysterical. He was probably um, like, Arr! Meanwhile, I, I have a friend, an American, who worked in Hong Kong for a number of years as a school teacher. And every time he heard the term guaylo, he got super pissed off because he just he thought it was like the most offensive thing you could say. And mm. Chinese people should mm. not call non-Chinese people that or whatever. And um, that was like his his hill to die on. And I, I, I listened to his arguments and I'm like, you know, okay, but like, I don't know, for me, would you'd have to pay me a lot of money to give a shit. The, the, the Chinese person who got super, super angry with me and would say, say guaylo or anything like that, I, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have any other reaction other than to laugh. But that's just me. Okay. You know, I'm not saying that the other people have to feel the same way when they hear that or whatever, but for me, I don't know, I just find it kind of silly. Um, but anyway, um, so obviously there are a lot of, there's a lot of, animus especially at that time towards foreigners rightly so because of what europeans did in china what uh, other nations did over there as well mm-hmm. and um when people hear that they think that yipman was some kind of weird exception like oh he didn't like to teach foreigners or whatever and i i, I feel that a majority of the sifu of his generation most likely felt exactly the same um, and and like and and it's you know you can look at it through a 2022 lens and be like wow that's not very it's not a very cosmopolitan attitude to have or whatever but we're not Yipman was born in the Qing Dynasty okay mm-hmm. when he was a child he would have had the Qing Dynasty the the mandated Q style haircut so okay. he would have had the front part of his head shaved with the long braid when he was a child because that hairstyle more or less stuck around until 1911 1912 when the Qing dynasty was finally overthrown uh, they still had that hairstyle um, for the most part so he was about 18 yeah and what's also interesting is that uh, even f- uh, Chinese who had left China and came let's say to the states like mm-hmm. to San Francisco in in those days they still Word. they still kept that hairstyle because remember wow. most of the most most of the chinese that came let's say to san francisco or they came to work on the railroads they were under the impression that they were coming for temporary labor that they would come over here earn a bunch of money and like earn back. a bunch of american do- dollars and come back and have to so have that's that why hairstyle. they would have to keep it right so that's mm. why when you look at photos like san francisco chinatown way back in the day they actually had that q style because they were planning on going back there right so so th- this is like a, a a very kind of and also if you think about it even that hairstyle was also considered a mandate by a foreign oppressor because China at that time in the Qing dynasty was was ruled by the Manchus who are not full-blooded ethnic Chinese. Mm-hmm. And the Manchus very brutally forced all Chinese men to have that hairstyle because previously in the Ming dynasty, Chinese men would have had 
uh, a braid. You know, your braid was essentially your lifeline. The longer the braid, the longer you lived. It was, you wouldn't chop your braid, right? Chopping off your braid is almost the equivalent of, you know, just losing all your honor to chop mm. your braid off, right? Because that is your lifeline. But uh, in, the, in the previous Ming dynasty, they would have had their hair all the way back from the front into a braid. But the Manchus had this very particular hairstyle where they shaved the front part of the head. And then you had the braid kind of go behind it, right? They mandated that on all Chinese men to have that hairstyle. And so that was not an ethnic Chinese hairstyle. So that was a hairstyle of oppression. It was meant to put the men in their place because the Manchus also had a very specific hairstyle for the women. Mm-hmm. But the Manchu government did not mandate Chinese women have to have their hairstyle in the Manchu style. Only the men. Wow. They did it to, to, to mess with them. Right. So you have to understand that even in Yip Man's time, even the ruling government of China at that time was considered a foreign oppressive regime ruling mm-hmm. China. They, the, the Manchus were not ethnic Han Chinese. So wow. even at the time of when Yip Man was born, China is being run by people who are Asian, but not Han Chinese. <laughs> and then you have the invasion of Japan. You know, Hong Kong is, is a British colony and Macau is Portuguese colony. You have all these things, right? So it's understandable why his generation would have an extremely skeptical view of foreigners all right, in general. Um, but, of course, we also see that through the 50s and 60s, especially as martial arts, Chinese martial arts gained more prominence through movies and stuff like that, that those attitudes soften quite a bit on, mm. um, on the Chinese sifus, right? To nowadays, almost hardly any Chinese want to learn Chinese martial arts in, say, Hong Kong. Mm. And it's usually like the foreigners who are coming to Hong Kong to learn Kung Fu from these various sifus. And nowadays, when you go to Hong Kong and you see a a signboard for a school or you see an advertisement, oftentimes these Chinese sifus will literally show a Westerner learning from them. Because now that's the sign, like, because the Westerners, you know, the the assumption is the Westerner is going to do his or her research on who to, you know, because they're going to travel all the way to Hong Kong. You're not going to go there and be like, oh, I'll just learn from some random whoever, right? They're going to find out who's the guy to learn from, so on and so forth. So the perception is that if a foreigner goes to Hong Kong, they did their research, and that's why they're learning from this person because this person is to use American slang, this person is the shit, right? And so you'll see, like, there's a couple Wing Chun schools, for example, on Nathan Road, where there's, like, the photo of the Sifu in in the window teaching some big, goofy white guy, right? Because now (laughs) that has become a sign of authenticity that even the the, the big, goofy white guy wants to come and learn from you. Um, Whereas even if we just go back to the 1950s, like, first of all, they didn't have big signs and things like that. It was, uh, you know, most martial arts schools were, you, you had to know someone who was in there to get in there and they didn't have storefronts and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, and now it, and, and so certainly most Westerners wouldn't even have access to that. So Yip Man, however, was uh, perhaps slightly more extreme than others. Okay. Mm. Yip Man was a member of the Kuomintang party, which was the opposing party to the communists. And this was an extremely nationalist party, like China above all else kind of thing, right? And that's part of the reason why he had to flee China was because he was a member of the Kuomintang Party, was opposing the communists, and so on and so forth. So Yip Man for sure was a pretty proud Chinese man. Okay. And in fact, when you see the the couplets, uh, the... the um, 
the the Chinese sayings that are at the Wing Chun Athletic Association. Right. You know, the top was this Wing Chun Tong, which is Wing Chun Hall, right? And on the right side, you have uh, uh, a, a saying, uh, Wing Chun Chun Jing Tong, right? Tong, right? Chun 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 Jing Tong, which means we teach the traditional or orthodox Wing Chun here. And then on the other side, the the couplet on the left side is extremely nationalistic. It's and it essentially means and China will rise again. So mm. it's basically saying like by teaching this traditional martial art of Wing Chun, we will build China strong again. And that is that those are the couplets that hang in the Wing Chun Athletic Association to this day. The poster that we have here, okay. which the calligraphy was written by the late Wong Sun Leung, that's it's the same saying, right? So it's it's kind of funny that this poster that's often hung in uh, Wing Chun schools all over the world is basically saying like it, this is for China, not for you, buddy. Oh, uh, because that that was that was the sentiment at that time, post World War II. Um, I for the City Wing Chun Athletic Association, I I changed that second couplet because Wing Chun now belongs to the world. Oh, so okay. if you go upstairs, you'll see the right one is gotcha. the same, but the left one we have now modified to specific for ours, which means for the benefit of the entire world, okay. rather than just for for China, right? I thought you was gonna say make American great again. Make America <laughs> great again. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll change it to a, a, a American national. That's your couplet. Yeah, oh, oh. we teach the traditional Chinese <laughs> Wing Chun, and we will make America, America. great again <laughs> with said Wing Chun. <laughs> right, um, right. Yes, more or less. That's right? what I thought you was gonna say. So uh, it, it's understandable. This was a prevalent attitude mm -hmm. at that time. Um, now, Yip Man apparently was even slightly more extreme than that. All right. So from what I have heard from, you know, my my good friend, the late Sifu Chan Chi Man and mm -hmm. other original students of Yip Man, Yip Man preferred to only teach Southern Chinese, uh, particularly wow. Cantonese, wow. but mainly you had to come from the South. So that meant that he didn't even teach Northern Chinese yeah, Wing Chun because, uh, you strange. know, supposedly either they had their own martial arts or because the Northern uh, Chinese were taller, had certain physical advantages, they shouldn't learn Wing Chun, so on and so forth. Yeah. So um, so that's the thing when people are like, oh, Yip Man would not have taught Westerners, Yip Man would not have taught uh, black people, Yip Man would not have taught uh, Japanese wow. or Korean. Dude, he would not even teach Northern Chinese, okay? Like, let's let's not even pretend we're having a conversation about foreigners. You need to be the right type of Chinese to learn from Grandmaster wow. Yip Man, all right? So so that that's why it, it, it's kind of a moot point to, like, to bicker about him not teaching Westerners yeah. when he was even highly selective about what type of Chinese he taught. That's like me not teaching anyone above Soho. Exactly. Yeah. If you right. live, you live above Soho. No, Forget you, it. You ain't coming in. Forget it. Yeah. That's totally. Wild. Yeah. So um, that is a that's an interesting fact because I think sometimes, especially for non Chinese or non Asian uh, people, they they don't realize it within the Asian community, within the Chinese community. Mm -hmm. There's there I mean, you have factions, and some of these factions really don't like each other for whatever reason you know mm. and uh, for some whatever historical reason and like you know like so ignorant westerners or foreigners are like you lump these entire groups into one group and not realizing that they're so they're factionalized just like everyone else right so we have this thing with yipman not even teaching 
northern Chinese. All right. Wow. And then so uh, the last time I saw a Sifu Chanchi man uh, before he passed away, which was the last time I was in Hong Kong, was in August of 2019. And I'm very, uh, um, I'm very happy that uh, we shot a bunch of interviews with yeah. him at that time. So I had my, uh, my friend Mark Oberdorfer, who is a German filmmaker who lives in Hong Kong. He's been living in Hong Kong for a long time, speaks Cantonese. He's like an OG in film, too. Uh, he's been around for a little bit. Yeah. And he, uh, we, we shot Sifu Chan Chi Man in like, you know, high def, uh, professional sound. And it's a few hours of a conversation I had with him mm-hmm. where I'm just at, I just asked him about his history, about what he's done, about learning from Yip Man, about Bruce Lee, about all these kind of stories. And, um, you know, and, and now, of course, he, you know, he passed away earlier this year. And I, I'm very happy that I have this footage. And and I'm looking, I'm talking to Mark about, you know, we're going to do something with the footage because it's, okay. it's amazing. Um, and it's one of the last records I think we're going to have of people who really learned uh, closely from, from Grandmaster Yipman. Mm. So uh, I asked uh, Chan Zifu, I said, um, obviously, Hong Kong was a British colony for, for for almost a hundred years. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine that there's some Brits, like some British kids growing up in Hong Kong in the fifties and sixties who had, uh, who had a liking for Chinese culture and a fondness for it. I mean, they live there, you know, and maybe they had an interest in learning Chinese martial arts, you know, before Bruce Lee and all this stuff. I mean, imagine you're some, you're some British kid growing up in Hong Kong. Your parents work for the government. There's some kind of officials or whatever. And you see these Chinese people in the park yeah. doing kicks and punches. And you find out that you know, your Chinese friend does this thing called Kung Fu or whatever. You, you, it might be something really interesting yeah, because yeah. it's so exotic and bizarre, right? Mm-hmm. So I asked them, I said, did any Westerners ever try to learn from Yip Man, you know, during that early period of time when he was learning from Yip Man. Like, and the reason why I thought that that was a relevant question was because, well, one, I want to find out what Yip Man's response to something like that was. All right. And two, we're also talking about a pre-Bruce Lee is famous. Like, it's one thing, like, once Bruce Lee and Kung Fu movies became big, mm-hmm. that foreigners are going to want to go to Hong Kong and learn from these different masters. But I'm talking about, like, when no one really knew it. Yeah. Where was there some British kid like who wanted to learn? And he told me uh, he told me something really interesting. He said, yes. He said one time and this is in the restaurant union. Mm-hmm. So this is the very first period of Yip Man's teachings very, very early on. He told me that there was one. He, he said uh, young British boy, like meaning like a teenager who came to the restaurant association to ask Yip Man to teach him. Yeah. OK. And he said, this British teenager spoke Cantonese. Yeah. All right. Mind-boggling. Yeah, which is especially at that yeah. time. I mean, most of the, the sons of uh, daughter, like the children of like the, the Brits who lived in Hong Kong, uh-huh. they went to British school, like English schools in Hong Kong. They basically right. had the same type of education they would have had back home just in Hong Kong. They had their own schools and, yeah. and they spent time with other British kids, right? But this kid could speak Cantonese. He must have been blown away. And he spoke Cantonese, according to Sifu Chen Chi Man, like a local. So yeah. he didn't speak with an accent. He spoke like if you closed your eyes, you would think you were listening to a, a Chinese teenager. Yeah. And he said he understood Chinese customs. He came like with a gift for Yip Man. He uh, was very he was very respectful in like the way he he called him Yip Sifu, and he he like knew he knew the he deal knew the customs. Wow. Right. 
And Damn. and you can imagine like Yip Man like seeing this this young kid who wants to come here and he's serious and he speaks the language. He has an affinity for the culture and all that kind of stuff. And then he said, My Sifu politely refused. Wow. Right? So you have to imagine that, like, uh, you know, because a lot of people nowadays go, oh, I wish I could go back and learn from Yipman. I'm like, bro, <laughs> you spoke pitch perfect right. Cantonese. Yeah. And knew everything about Chinese culture. And right. you could be transported back in that time. He'd still give you the middle finger. <laughs> All right. So get off your little fantasy about that kind of stuff. Right. Oh, no. And again, it's not, uh, you know, it, it's, it's easy when you look at people mm -hmm. in the past, nowadays, which is the trend, and judge them through the current lens of, you know, uh, 2022 understanding of things, right? Mm -hmm. um, given the brutal history of foreigners in China and in Hong Kong and, you know, all the things that I had just previously mentioned, yeah, uh, it's totally understandable why Yip Man would feel this way. And, uh, of course, we can look at it now and go, you know, it's it's a kind of, it's a dated way of looking at people. Okay. All right? And and we need to go, kind of go beyond that. But we can say that now, okay? Yeah. We're talking about the 1950s. And we're talking about someone who was born in the freaking Qing dynasty. Mm. All right? So so you ha you have to, if if you're not able to apply that, those type of, that type of context to someone, then you're just and and then you just blast them for not conforming to a a a a, a way of behaving that is common 60 years after that person is dead okay all right then you're you're just trying to unfairly judge someone for the sake of judging them right so it, it makes a lot of sense why he would have been that way and it is the truth i mean okay. it's the history so you you have to you have to go yeah that that's what it was like back then mm. he didn't even teach northern chinese let alone westerners and i know there was a story that bruce lee when he came back to hong kong the first time after he had started teaching people like jesse glover he had asked yip man if jesse could officially be uh, considered part of the wing chun family and jesse glover was black and oh, okay. you can guess what yip man's response to that was <laughs> okay <laughs> And that's the way it is, right? So, anyway, but interesting question. Man, yeah. so here's a fun fact for you. You know, oh. out of 193 countries in the world, Great Britain has uh, um, only not invaded 22 of them. What? Really? Yeah, there's only 22 countries uh, in, uh, out in, of, in, out of, like, I think, like, in the, entire world. in the entire world, right? Out of the, 100 and who? 93, right? That Britain hasn't invaded. I mean, real like luminaries like Monaco, <clears throat> Mali, the Marshall Islands, Vatican City. We should have invaded Vatican City. Uh -huh. You. Um, <clears throat> second fun fact, an ex-girlfriend once called me a miserable gentrifying colonizer and a short white European in what she clearly thought was a really huge own to me when she was upset that we were breaking up. Uh-huh. Yeah, like basically <laughs> just describing you as you are. Yeah, I just I was just right. like I was just like I didn't respond because yeah. she was a bit nuts, but I just wanted to be like. These aren't insults. These yeah. are objective facts. You, right, right, right. Exactly. Tears of joy. Right, You're yeah. like, you finally get me? <laughs> and we're breaking up? Yeah, you like, finally... Yeah, now you yeah, understand yeah. that yeah. I'm a colonizer. Yeah, it's like a miserable uh, gentrifying one. Gentrifying that, you know one, I mean? yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. be like someone giving a parting shot and be like, You're a pale, short Cuban. <laughs> <laughs> like okay yeah yeah well played oh man Ooh. yeah, you know, yeah. So, so anyway so what else you got man what's the next one man all right 
Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners. Are you a fan of Wing Chun Kung Fu? Well, if you listen to me, I assume you are. I got great news for KFG fans. Right now, you can get an all-access, one-month free trial subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Yes, I said free. Go to WCINewsstand.com and register in the upper right-hand corner. Fill out your email and password and use the code KFGTRIAL to get your free trial to all the issues from 2011 to the current issue. That's right, all the issues. Even the one with this cool guy on the cover. That's me for those of you listening to us on audio. My Kung Fu Genius column is also in all the new issues as if you needed another reason to get this awesome magazine. Go get your free trial subscription today. For all that information, check out the description below. And now back to me. Wow, good stuff. Next up, we got Andy Liu. All right. Okay. It's not Andy Lau. Could be Andy Lau. Louis. Andy Louis. Leo. Leo. Like Lucy Leo. No, it's not Lucy no. Liu. I didn't say it was Lucy Liu. I said like the name, like L-I-U, it. which is Lao in Mandarin. Ooh. Yes. So Another. Huh? Yeah, it could be Andy Lao. Andy Liu. All right. Go ahead. Another great fake story is the book Taming the Tiger by Tony Anthony. Never heard of Tony it. Tony Danza. Yeah. No, not Tony. Hold me closer, Tony Danza. Go ahead. I thought it was Tiny Dancer. It's Tony Danza. That's who uh, Elton yeah, John Yeah, Tony Danza. Yeah. Hold me closer, Tony, Tony Danza. This whole time I thought it was Tiny yeah, Dancer. Yeah, no, you're wrong, no, you're as wrong. usual. All right, go ahead. Continue. Tony Danza's the man. Go ahead. The manza. All right. Another serial fantasist. Okay, Tony Anthony, another mm-hmm. yes, serial fantasist. Yes. Make sure to get a first print copy. It's hilarious. I got my copy of the book while I was talking to a Christian minister on an open sports day. I read it, and next time we meet, or next time we met, I pointed out all the kung fu bullshit in it. Later, I found out online that most of the rest of the book was Fantasy 2. Question. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get problems with religious fanatics that think Kung Fu is the devil's work, etc.? That's wow. a good question. I've never I mean, heard anything like this. Yeah, well, first, we're in New York, so it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if uh, we were running our school in Pennsylvania, uh, in West Virginia, mm-hmm. in, uh, I don't know, the sticks of Alabama, mm. I can imagine... I don't, I don't know about them foreign type of martial arts, them devil-worshipping foreign martial arts. You occasionally see the uh, religious people on the train. The yeah, crazy, well, well first of all, I mean, New York is a place where you have you have all types, right? Mm-hmm. But um, for the most part, I mean, you always, I mean, religious zealotry you have everywhere. You always have some crazy dude with a Bible on, yeah. on the subway telling you the world's about to end, right? Yeah. Um, and I miss those guys. I haven't. Seen, yeah, I mean, you always have stuff like that. On but, but, but that, I mean, you know, most people don't don't really pay any attention to those guys, right? <laughs> but in terms of like uh, someone saying like you know the martial arts or Chinese martial arts are work of the devil, nothing. I mean, that that's I've not really going to happen in New York, right? I can imagine though that that's happened in like the aforementioned Pennsylvania and waste, okay. waste Virginia and all those kind of places, right? <laughs> waste Virginia, yeah, yeah. people. That's a place. Like that. Yeah, waste Virginia. Right? That's not a place. Um, and That's not a real place. Yes. I can't. And it is a real place. No, I cannot. Right? I cannot. Um, so <laughs> type that in my ways. But but I have had like over the years I've had some like kind of hardcore Christians mm-hmm. who like uh uh refuse to like uh, bow to uh like at the beginning of class when we bow to Grandmaster Yip Man. Like they can't do that because 
you're 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 worshiping Yo, some false idols. I or remember. Like that. I had an intro student yeah, who, for, who for, said that. Well, I mean, for in, in the yeah. entire history of City Wing Chun, at any given point, we usually had maybe one person mm-hmm. like that, right? Um, but uh, you know, that's that's fine. I'm I sure, remember that dude. Yeah. I'm sure that person still works on the Sabbath and they're going to hell anyway. So anyway, um, the uh, that, that that has happened, but but beyond that, not yeah. not really. Uh, um, New York tends to be the kind of place where people. You, you you kind of live and let live like whatever your thing is you know mm-hmm. like oh what are you into Mr. Dre like uh, I worship dragons that's so awesome yeah right no one's gonna go like you know the Bible like the Bible <laughs> says you shouldn't worship dragons right like no really that's not something you really have a problem <laughs> no, no. here in New York go out to no. Jersey it's another story though no no yeah. no that, that reminds me just this week at work we uh we had. Some new people join the uh, chat. The yeah. New new employees, uh-huh. new staff. We let them into the group chat, which uh-huh. we should never do. No. And one of the women is texting, you know, religious stuff. Oh, gee. God oh, loves. No. Yeah, yeah. She's oh, in the chat texting. So then we start taking photos with devil filters. <laughs> 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 we're sending them in the chat, and we're just like oh, evil with it. Wow. Man, demons wow. over here while we're in the yeah. So, I guess so is this is this what I miss not having a, like a normal job like other people? Yeah, you totally stuff yeah, like you this. would totally love this. Yeah, you also not this. having a, an official HR department, right? <laughs> yeah, we don't have an HR department. Yeah. I mean, there's gonna be one after that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got next? We got Razzles. Razzles. Out to razzle dazzle razzle, you. Razzle dazzle. Yes. All right. All right. Can you please recommend like three of your favorite martial arts books, not training or instructional books, not interested, or any Bruce Lee books? Read them all. More like doubt, stories or biographies. Other way people say they've read all the Bruce Lee books. Oh, of it's course. like you have not. You have not read the ones that are in Chinese. They wrote them. All no, right, yeah, we haven't read the ones that are in Chinese. Oh, true, There's true, true. a bunch of books that like they don't even have access to. Oh. Some really good books in other languages. Where's the mic? Where's the mic? Yeah, drop the mic. <laughs> Boom. All right. Thank you in advance whether you answer this question or not. Uh huh. So three martial art books that are not instructional. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh. Uh, um. Hmm. Well, first of all, I mean, uh, majority about of the Mar- Black Dragon's book. Uh, do you have a book? He's got a few books. Uh, Ron Van Cleef. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Black Heroes of the Martial Arts. He wrote. He, he wrote a bunch of books on on his his Chinese Goju system. Was he ever in the Black Dragon Society? No. no. You would think he was. Why? Because he is He's the Black join, Dragon. Ron Van Cleef is not going to join that Katadante bullshit. <laughs> Get out of here. The man fought in UFC. Give him some respect. All <laughs> right. Some, give, Did he ever go on some the Black respect Dragon on roller name. coaster? What? Did he ever go on the Black Dragon roller coaster? Is that oh, a thing? That is apparently. Oh, right. Where? I'm, I, great adventure. I wish it was a great right. adventure. I I've wish too. Time. I'll go there tomorrow. So I mean, a majority of martial art books tend to be instructional, mm-hmm. um, and I I buy. You, you've been in my place. You see how many martial art books I have. But even even if most martial art books are instructional, like I don't Man. I don't buy them to go. Oh, I need. Uh, you know, like I don't, I don't buy like, uh, let's say, a book about the a tiger crane form in Hongkun. Mm-hmm. That's an instructional on the form. I don't buy that book because I want to teach myself that instruction. I, mm. I buy that book because I, or I teach myself that form because I want to learn about the history of that form, that style, mm-hmm. how it's applied, what the nuances are or whatever. So, I mean, I, I think uh, leaving instructionals out 
because uh, you're like, oh, I don't want to see a book about a style that's either not the style I'm doing or I've seen too many of those. I, I think I think you're going to miss out a lot because you know, for example, there are um, books uh, that have been published in recent years mm-hmm. um, about Hongkun, which is uh, they've been written by um, Lam Chun Fai, uh, Lam Jo's son, Lam Chun Fai, in, in coordination with uh, Chiu Sek Heng, who's like a martial arts researcher, oh, like and they did these really. Um, Thick like uh, deep dives and things like Tiger Crane form and Gongji Fuk Fukun and like the the these these traditional Hongkun forms, right? And um, even though a big part of that book shows mm-hmm. like the form step by step, but like the whole first part of those books go into the history of that style, the detail, why that form exists, how that form changed, the development, and so like if you don't want to get an instructional because you don't want to sully your eyeballs with another <laughs> style that you don't practice. Oh, no. You're going to miss the fact that a lot of those books also have sections that are not just showing you a form or a bunch of techniques, but they go into the background of that style. So I think mm. uh, one one shouldn't limit their consumption of martial arts books to non-instructional books, all right? Uh, having said that, uh, there's uh, a book um, written by the late Brian Kennedy, uh, which uh, talks about the history of the Jingu. Did you say Brian Dennehy? Brian Kennedy. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Uh, about the, um, I was about to say, Brian Dennehy wrote a Wow. Yes, he did. I would, I would right. love to read that book. I would book. read that book in a heartbeat. Good. Uh, anyway, <laughs> now what the hell was I even talking about? Uh, there, there's a, a book written by Bri- the late Brian Kennedy about the Jingwu Academy. Okay. The Jingwu Academy uh, is the um, the school that was featured in the movie Fist of Fury. Mm. You know, with the Huo Yuan Jia, Fok Yun Gap, the, the Sifu was killed, supposedly murdered, whatever, and then, yeah. you know, Bruce Lee's character re- re- gets his revenge. Well, Tear that, that academy asshole, was actually yeah. a real place, and it was uh, developed in the early 1900s and it was essentially the first public professional martial arts school in china and it was the um athletic set the mold yeah yeah it was an athletic association meaning like it wasn't just about martial arts you could learn like western bodybuilding and archery and also it was kind of like a ymca with martial arts bodybuilding yeah that was a big deal back then to learn western style bodybuilding right that was like a foreign thing for them right lifting weights and deadlifts all that kind of stuff right so uh they this jingbu academy was created and um Brian Kennedy wrote this really interesting book about the history of the Jingwu Academy, which obviously discusses a fair amount of history of Chinese martial arts in general mm-hmm. and how these martial arts were kind of combined and disseminated. So That's that, uh, that Jingwu book is really interesting. There's another book uh, called, um, I don't remember the exact title, but it's about Chinese martial art manuals because there are not that many of them. And it basically, it's another historical book about like different manuals that existed for different styles. And that is a fascinating deep dive into the history of Chinese martial arts as well. Mm. Also discusses things like the idea that, uh, that styles are Buddhist or Taoist is more or less a modern construct that's been appended to these styles. Um, he has an interesting theory in there that if you could go back into a time machine uh, 200 like years from now, like a Dreisen machine. time machine. Okay. If you could go back 200 years and ask a Chinese martial arts practitioner mm. if the style that they practice was Buddhist or Taoist, that they would look at you like you were batshit crazy. Because in their mind, they would be like, uh, no, this, this is fighting. Why are you asking about religion? Mm. Right? Because especially, and this can be also perhaps be considered somewhat of the downfall of Chinese martial arts, 
Um, whereas in Japanese martial arts, as they kind of grew in popularity, uh, they would have tournaments and they would, you know, and, and they had ways to kind of improve the fighting system even beyond the time that they were being used for survival. Oh. Because if you imagine that Chinese martial arts were designed to survive either fighting on the battlefield or whatever, like they, they're, you know, just like the blood sports song, I fight to survive, right? <laughs> but then at some point, the uh, invention of the gun, yeah, uh, modern warfare, oh, um, an increasingly more industrial society. I soiled the, it. The, the idea that you're going to use physical fighting techniques to protect yourself, especially in a modern society... Is, is, is kind of ridiculous. So then what is the utility of martial arts in modern day? Well, perhaps self-defense, mm -hmm. perhaps uh, as a more challenging and fun way to get fit or to stay strong or whatever, right? Um, and then these things essentially, for better or worse, become hobbies. Mm -hmm. Now, for the Japanese, they also then had tournaments, especially as karate started to get, gain international development. And then you have the Kyokushin, and then that be, then you have Japanese kickboxing, and then Muay Thai, you have kickboxing, and, and then you have wrestling, and then jujitsu, and all these things. Whereas Chinese martial arts, as they became hobbies, started to, to kind of go in the opposite route. Instead of these martial arts, um, you know, being more open and there being competition, I'm not saying that there were not competitions in China before oh, people no. jump on me about the Lei Tai and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, many of these Chinese martial arts styles that were at one point used for actual combat became hobbies for, for people who had money. Because mm -hmm. you don't have to do martial arts to survive. So who does martial arts? People who want to. So it becomes a hobby. So in order for these sifus who have to earn a living, perhaps teaching a rich man's son martial arts, mm -hmm. they have to dress it up as being something a little bit more than just punching and kicking. So now this martial art suddenly has a Buddhist influence in it. So not only am I going to teach your son uh, how to defend him his himself, right? Mm -hmm. I'm also going to teach him like... The, eight, the eightfold path and the, uh, mm. the the virtue of the middle way and all of these kind of things that come from Buddhism. So now suddenly this martial art is not just about punching and kicking, but there's something deeper. There's a, there's a, a moral philosophy behind it, right? Okay. So that Chinese martial art manuals book basically has a very interesting theory that the idea that these martial arts were Buddhist or Taoist came from sales pitches from Sifus who are trying to sell this to the sons of, of rich men mm. to make it sound more than just, I'm, I'm just going to teach your kid some throws and kicks and punches. I'm going to teach your kid the, you know, the eightfold path and all this kind of Buddhist stuff or, or Taoist stuff, how to become one with nature and the universe or whatever. But if you were to go back two, 300 years in time and ask a Chinese martial artist if this method of smashing someone's face with their f fist is Buddhist or Taoist, they would look at you like, um, why, why are you asking me whether my the fight the thing I do for fighting has anything to do with religion, mm. right? Mm. And but now you tell people like you know maybe these martial arts were not originally Buddhist or Taoist or whatever, and you know you might as well tell them their fair favorite mythical fairy tale person doesn't exist doesn't because exist. this is this is news people don't want to hear, Tooth right? Fairy doesn't exist. So that um, that. Uh, Chinese martial arts manuals book. It's a very fascinating book. I think also co-authored by Brian Kennedy, who 
authored the first book that I recommend, the Jing Wu one. And then I'm reading wow. another one now called, I think it's called Chinese Martial Arts History or Chinese Martial Arts Studies by Peter Lorge, who's a friend of Matt Polly. And it's an academic deep dive into uh, the history of Chinese martial arts and dispelling a lot of myths. That was actually a uh, recommendation from someone in the comments here on the KFG. Oh, wow. After I talked about uh, talked some ish about the Shaolin Temple history and all that kind of ish. stuff. So okay. uh, those those books I find really we fascinating. Talk more ish. So we can yes. get more recommendations. So I like I like um, I like obviously those three books are history because I think if you practice Chinese martial arts, I think you need to know kind of understand history. the developments, right? For that to make sense. But I still love like I'll buy instructionals on kung fu styles, like obscure. If I'm like in Chinatown, I go to like a BLP, mm-hmm. and they have a a book there on some like obscure ass Chinese kung fu style. I will Damn. buy that book. Oh, wow. And I will just read it, even like I might look at the techniques or the form. I think the form's complicated or silly or the applications don't really make any sense. But I'll, I'll, I'll read like the history, where's the style come from, who are the major players, and then just log that. You know what I mean? So uh, I would tell the, 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 the person who wrote this uh, question here, don't limit yourself to uh, non-instructional martial art books because you're, mm. you're missing a lot there. There's some... Okay. Like the the Hongkun series by Lam Chun Fai, I think are some of the best books written about Hongkun. Even though each book is sold as uh, it's teaching this form or that form, but the additional information in there is really good. Also, Chu Seking wrote the Hakka, uh, a book about the history of the Hakka martial arts, which I actually picked up I think when we were in Hong Kong. That really thick book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that book is absolutely fascinating, but I don't think you can even get it. I now. think we you you went on a separate trip and brought it back because I remember you bringing it back. And You're I was right. Like, yeah, that book's amazing. Book's what? amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, cool, great question. What do we got next? Good stuff. We got uh, next up, Irby Lopez. Irby Lopez. Irby. Okay. Okay. Not mistaken to Herbie. Right. All right. First of all, I'd like to preface. This question by stating that I am not a martial arts practitioner, but I do have a love for the martial arts. I'm going to say the same thing, too. Actually, I thought he was going to say I'm not a martial arts practitioner, but I play one on TV. (laughs) I play one on TV. (laughs) It's great. Yes. I apologize if my question betrays my ignorance. You got me thinking of of, uh, Dynamite. What's his name? Uh, That dude from... Who is it? Billy Zane? Oh. Character? I have no idea. I thought you were going to talk about Jimmy Walker, Dino Might. But anyway, <laughs> let's continue. Okay. My bad. I apologize if my question betrays my ignorance. So my question is this. If so many traditional martial arts were developed for self-defense, why is it that so many do not seem to include ground fighting? I find this interesting considering that wrestling in many forms and variations seems to be universal and ancient across multiple cultures. How is it that so many traditional martial arts developed as seemingly only striking styles? Are my assumptions wrong and I'm completely wrong? Love the podcast. Keep it coming. All right. That's a great question. Uh, so especially nowadays when we see stuff like uh, mixed martial arts and the prevalence of wrestling and jiu-jitsu and submissions and all of that, and then we go, okay, well, if China has this very long history with all these martial arts and they're mm-hmm. supposedly for self-defense, how come 
we don't see grappling. Grappling is not more prominent in Chinese martial arts, mm-hmm. right? So a um, couple things. I mean, uh, I'll, I'm just spitballing here, okay? Because I'm not, you know, my my specialty in Chinese martial arts is more certainly Wing Chun mm-hmm. and certainly more recent kind of Hong Kong history of martial arts. I have a fascination of about the 1950s, 60s, and 70s Hong Kong martial arts scene. That that is like my wheelhouse when it comes to history, and I have only a very, very superficial understanding of the history of Chinese martial arts outside of that because there's also not that much that we really know. Um, So I wouldn't say... uh, You have to be careful when you use certain terms like self-defense because that is a very loaded term. Yeah. And I think most people just assume that anytime you're fighting someone else, that's self-defense. I'm defending myself against you, all right? But if the two of us decide to have a sporting, uh, uh, a, a sportive comparison. Yeah, all meet right? you at 3 o'clock. Meet you at 3 o'clock, and we're going to touch gloves, and we're yeah. going to go. That is not self-defense. Okay. Okay? It, that's school. not, all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-defense is there is one willing participant, mm-hmm. your attacker, mm. and one unwilling participant, you. You. Yeah, okay? okay. All right. So there is a psychological component to um, I'm protecting myself because someone is unrightly so attacking me. Mm. That is self-defense. Getting in a ring willingly with someone. All right. Or fighting on the battlefield or whatever. None of these things really should be categorized as self-defense. Mm. So I would push back slightly that Chinese martial arts were originally developed for self-defense. And I would say m- more likely than not, they were developed for the battlefield. Okay. So if you are in a to battlefield situation, first and foremost, you fight with weapons. Okay? So th- that's, that's the up. one thing, all right? So you have something like a Kwando, all right? Chopping and, off and, horses' legs. And chopping off horses' legs, right? Ooh. Always two strokes on the horse. Boom, boom. One for the legs, one for the rider, right? Okay? Oh, and so, okay, so you, you okay. have kind of a... A development, an early martial arts, like from the Bronze Age, like we're talking even before any Shaolin Temple, any of that kind of nonsense, mm. of um, battlefield martial arts. Okay, so when one you have weapons, you have probably some rudimentary armor, you're on horseback, and if you do end up on the ground, then you're going to have to use some kind of small close range arms, you know, the spear thing the like dagger. that, a sword or something like that to keep mm-hmm. the person off of you, right? So the original development of Chinese martial arts most likely is in protecting these very big and heavy borders that China has with all these different countries, right? Because that's the one thing people forget. China is a huge country. What does that mean? It means it borders many other countries. And many of those countries at some point are going to try to invade China. So mm-hmm. China has had to protect its very vast borders for a very long time. So those martial arts that were developed were battlefield, horseback, and single combat with weapons or field combat with multiple combatants. All right. So it makes sense that... It, there would not be an, an emphasis on developing wrestling, all mm-hmm. right? You're on the battlefield, dude's charging you, and then you throw your weapon over your shoulder and go for a double-leg takedown, try to put him in an arm lock while someone else comes and cuts your head off, all right? Ooh. So, I mean, it, 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 you have to understand, like, yeah. like martial arts are contextual to the time period, the culture, but more importantly, to the needs of the people doing it, mm-hmm. all right? So most cultures have some kind of indigenous or wrestling, all right? Because wrestling is such a natural, you know, you, you have untrained people 
and you put them in a cage together or you put them in a ring together, they're going to start grabbing, grabbing each other and tussling. It's very, mm-hmm. it's, it's very natural. We are, we are primates. We have hands. We grab. We hold on. We are not ho- like horses that have hooves and we were just going to kick someone, right? We are, we are naturally inclined to grapple and to grab, all right? Uh, so you find, you know, in old depictions and paintings, Chinese wrestling, right? And obviously there are things like shuai chao. And there are Chinese styles of wrestling. Um, maybe they don't have the super developed ground fighting game of something like jujitsu. But spoiler alert, mm. most of the original wrestling uh, or grappling styles in the world is, was not nearly as developed as jujitsu is now because jujitsu now since uh, 1993, since the first UFCs, has been in this huge petri dish of development and scientific improvement because now everyone is learning it and everyone is going and upping that game whereas in the old days this information was a little bit more parsed out and you wouldn't have this ability to come together and to develop these things like as kind of like group brain like the way jiu-jitsu is developing now i mean when you look at the technical level of no gi or gi jiu-jitsu now and you compare it to 20 years ago there is no comparison the guys now just they're just so much smarter and slicker and can they have transitions and drills and they figured out such a better way of doing these things um and a lot of grappling arts like wrestling, they were formalized for a very long time. Wrestling is, whether it's Greco-Roman or freestyle, it's a specific set of uh, aims. You know, you mm. get points by doing this, right? Whereas something like jiu-jitsu can be a lot more free because ultimately you're trying to, you know, make the other guy submit. So it's important not to look at the rapid advancement of grappling styles in the last, say, 30-some-odd years, and then go, how come we don't see something like this in China all these years ago? Because if you look at the Japanese jiu-jitsu, the original jiu-jitsu, which also had strikes, well, that's also wasn't nearly as developed as what we call jiu-jitsu nowadays, right? So you, you have to be very mindful not to uh, uh, project, again, like the Yip Man thing, being, Yip Man being racist or whatever, project a... 2022 lens Mm. on the time period and a context which was so vastly different all right so later as martial arts become hobbies like i talked about in the last question they became uh these 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 arts for someone to develop their body all right to develop their spirit to develop their power but most of them because there were no, there weren't a lot of competitions. They weren't really doing it for fighting other people. So there definitely was a backslide in terms of martial arts effectiveness, especially throughout the nineteenth uh, and maybe twentieth century, when these things were more or less hobbies and they weren't being practiced for sport, and they certainly weren't being practiced for survival. Um, whereas at least in karate, you had tournaments. All right, like say what you want about shitty point fighting karate in the sixties and seventies. All right, but at least they were doing something with some kind of okay. contact, interacting with each other. While the Chinese are just uh, often focused on forms at that time, right? Mm. And Bruce Lee was someone who was very unique in that. And Wing Chun was also a style that was a little bit different for that reason that they went out and just straight up scrapped with the other styles. Um, but you do see some forms of Chinese wrestling. Uh, but I would say. Part of the reason is that if we're talking about martial arts that were mainly designed for battlefield, for war, for those kind of contexts, mm-hmm. grappling tends to fall out of favor in those specific situations wow. to quick actions, to weapons, to tactics you do when you are with a group of people, right? And you have to also look at when do we see depictions of grappling and wrestling mm-hmm. 
in uh, ancient cultures, whether we're talking about Greek pancreation or uh, we're talking okay. about the Romans or we're talking about uh, Chinese or whatever, you often see it in depictions of single combat contests, in the not contest. in battlefield. Oh, All right. So, for example, if if uh, we are we're, we're we're in a battlefield hundreds of years ago, right? And you know, I'm using my spear and I lose my spear, and people are coming at me. I need to deliver at least. I mean, you're in a losing battle if you don't have a weapon on the battlefield. But mm. you chose. I need to try to knock this guy down, or hit him, or strike him, or hit him with my elbow, or kick him, or break his knee, or do this, or do whatever, so that I can continue on. Okay. The last thing I can do when we're on the battlefield is, is go for a double leg takedown and start wrestling this guy uh, when his buddies are going to come and just stab me in the back of the head. Right. All right. So, but now. As good as dead if you're on the ground. Exactly. But now uh, we're not on the battlefield. Now we are, we are in an open area mm -hmm. and we're going to have a sporting contest to see who the better one is. Then grappling is like a superpower because no other people are going to intervene. Mm -hmm. And if I can hold you down and press you and pin you and keep you from moving, you're going to get tired. And if strikes are involved, obviously I can be dominant. And if strikes are not involved, I can just pin you down and essentially render you useless. <laughs> so when you look at like the prevalence of grappling depictions in the old days, especially when you look at like the, the old Greek paintings in Pancration, notice that these are for single combat trials. Mm. And their grappling is really excellent because there's no one else involved. But when you see striking, often it's in the context of warfare. All right? Wow. So it's important not to confuse that. And like I said, neither one of those things are really self-defense. Self-defense is really a modern term. Man. All right? And, and so we can't confuse those things. Contextual. All right. All right. What else we got? Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners, if you're a Wing Chun practitioner, especially from the WT or Learn Ting line, and want to get really personalized immersion training with me, you can now apply to do an immersion course with me here in NYC, or if you like the sun, in my Florida home near Orlando. These courses are for instructors or anyone who's serious about learning the art in detail and working hard. I teach in program blocks like Siunam Tao, Chum Q, Buji, Wooden Dummy, and those include the Chi Sao Theory, Fighting Applications, and Training Methods as well. If you're really serious about learning Wing Chun, check out the link in the description below to find out about applying for a spot. For those of you who are not quite ready to do full private immersion training, you can also apply for a spot at either our winter or summer intensive training camps. We have a few spots available for non-city Wing Chun students, so apply today. A link for those options are in the description below. And now back to me. Wow. Next up, uh, we got a second from Razzle Dazzle. Okay. Razzles, I, sh I should say. Okay. Don't want to botch his name like All that. All right. Go ahead. Um, it's more of a comment. Okay. Bruce Lee used to go to sleep with my book, The Secret Man, under his pillow every night. Frank Dukes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, recently, I mean, right. recently at the time of this recording, not yeah. not recently when this episode finally comes out oh, uh, no. 10 years from now. Oh, right. Um, I did a couple of videos about Frank Dukes because, you know. We had a live episode. We had a live Frank. episode where we talked about Frank Dukes, yeah. and then I did a, a short one mm -hmm. uh, where I talked about uh, some of this stuff uh, that has been coming up with um, the Viking Samurai channel. Yeah. Who's been giving... Uh, what I feel is a disproportionate amount of airtime to someone who's <laughs> more likely than not uh, a, a fraudster. Now, again, yeah. I don't want to rehash everything I talked about in those episodes. Like, 
Frank Dukes can be someone who has some fighting skill, who has some martial arts skill, who mm-hmm. who has a uh, you know a head on his shoulders about some ideas about martial arts, which may make sense. I mean, the dude choreographed blood sport. You got to give him that. And uh, you know, who's the choreographer? Yeah. What? And and for people who um, no, yeah. I well, I mean, supposedly he was the choreographer, right? I didn't uh, know I, that. That's yeah, wild. but of course he's working with peak. Uh, look at all the people he was working with. Yeah. He was working with well Van Damme. He was working with Bolo Young, a veteran of Hong Kong films, mm-hmm. and even some of the other Kumite fighters, the Chinese guys. Those yeah. were like those were veteran Hong Kong stuntmen. One of them was John Chung, who played the bad guy in uh, Dragon: The Bruce Lee Story. He played uh, um, the, the guy the guy who breaks Word. Bruce Lee's back, who's yeah. supposed to be Wong Jack Man, but he's not Wong Jack Man. Oh, he's uh, man. I don't know. He's Wong Broke Man. J- Johnny something or whatever. <laughs> okay. Um, and um, so. He he was also working with a bunch of veterans who kind of knew what to do. Mm-hmm. So if he had like some idea about you know kick this, do that, whatever, I mean, well, ultimately they were the ones who were doing it, right? So I believe that Frank Dukes probably had some kind of martial arts training when he was very young. I mean, probably most likely Kempo Karate if he's in the California area. Um, I just think that he's then he grew up in Cali. Yes, that over time. Um, he, he's kind of started to, he probably started with a couple embellishments of his story mm-hmm. until it became this like kind of full fledged thing. And even like, you know, uh, you know, the fact that he learned from someone named Senzo Tanaka and then like they, they, they couldn't find this person. And now recently Viking Samurai had someone on there who said they actually found a record of a Senzo Tanaka mm-hmm. and like, and, and it, it substantiates a lot of Frank's claims. But I think what people don't realize is that someone named Senzo Tanaka could have existed and Frank Dukes might have known this guy. Still doesn't mean that that guy taught Frank Dukes martial arts or that that guy was a ninja or this, that, or the other thing. Like, the problem is that people, you need to be very specific about what you're arguing. Okay. Frank Duke said he learned all this ninjutsu stuff from a guy named Senzo Tanaka. No one could find Senzo Tanaka. Now they miraculously found records of a Senzo Tanaka and he was some kind, maybe some kind of spy or something like that. Yes. Okay. So the guy existed. Mm. How do we know that this wasn't just someone that Frank Dukes knew or knew of or knew someone who knew him and told him all this stuff? How does the fact that this guy actually existed now substantiate every other claim that comes out of Frank Dukes' mouth, right? And again, I sound like a freaking broken record when I say this, all right? It is not for me or any other YouTuber to dispel all of this Frank Dukes nonsense. Frank Dukes is the one who's making the claim. The burden of proof rests on the claimant, not Mm. anyone else. Damn. See, he's the one who has to substantiate these claims beyond a reasonable doubt. And if he can't do that, uh, because, you know, again, look, there's things you've done in your life cool stories, mm-hmm. things that if you told someone and someone was like, I don't believe you, prove it, you wouldn't be able to prove it because no. this is stuff that happened a long time ago. Right. At the time you did it, you weren't thinking at one one day in your life you're going to need to prove this stuff, right? Man. But the problem is that Frank Dukes has a, a very high amount of those kind of unprovable <laughs> things in his life. Okay, it's way up there. And he always has a very interesting way of explaining away these things, which has changed over time. And I don't think it's changed because he's offering more nuance. I think it's changed because the internet is kicking his ass, right? So he, he's, he's, he's had to kind of backtrack on a lot of his stories, right? And then, so, uh, you know, he wrote this book called The Secret Man back in the day where he made, that's where he made the lion's share of those uh, claims about mm. being, uh, you know, CIA spy or whatever. Uh, like when he went on that, 
talk show host saying he was a spy, or he went on that talk show saying he was a spy and he had that eye patch and some lady Donahue or something, some type of show like that. Some lady in the audience is like, "Well, if you're a spy, why are you on TV telling people you're a spy?" Right? And he's looking like a dumbass with an eye patch, right? Um, uh, yeah. Oops. Looking, looking like a bootleg pirate. So um, he. Um, he he has a lot of odd claims that just seem it just seems like just serial fantasist nonsense, right? Pre-internet age stuff, right? Mm. The stuff you could get away with then, right? You see less of that now because the internet, the 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 internet puts people in line in terms of like be be careful what you claim because of what's available for research nowadays. Man. So uh, he wrote that book, Secret Book, and there was a lot of BS in there. His military record, all this other kind of stuff, and then so of course you know the joke about the comment is that Bruce Lee would go to bed with that book. And then, of course, Frank Dukes would say that, um, of course, obviously, one, that claim would be totally fictitious because that book didn't come out until the 1990s anyway. Mm. Um, But that wouldn't necessarily bar Frank Dukes from making that claim. You know, Bruce Lee went to bed with my book every night. Um, (laughs) Mr. Dukes, your book was uh, written in the 90s. No, no, no. That's just what they want you to think. Actually, Uh the manuscript from that book was already ready in in 1969, even though his military service didn't happen until the 70s. I'm sure. Interesting. He would have a way of explaining that. Yeah, yeah. Flip it. Do we have another one? I think we do. Do we have time for one more or two more? I think uh, depends, uh, let's just depends go right how meaty it. those questions are. Yes. Yeah, I'd just like to say the questions in this episode have been really top notch. So it would be a real shame <laughs> if there was like another question from I don't know one of two people. Oh, right. may or may not exist. Yeah, would just suck. to like bring the yeah. Because down. actually, actually, we've had some really, really good questions. Frank yeah. Dukes might might pop up. I would in love the, to answer a question by Frank Dukes. I'd love to answer a question by Frank Dukes. All right, Frank well, Dukes in person. Yes. Unfortunately, the next one is from uh, someone named Goldie Hussein. Not Frank Dukes. That's what I mean. All right, more or less the same. <laughs> Virtually identical. <laughs> All right, at. End of day. He was just a human being who went through good and bad experiences. Exclamation mark. Well, there's okay. exclamation mark right in front, too. Uh-huh. Such personal letters 50 years later are okay to make public? Oh, is this a, a comment on the drug letters video I don't from know. back in the day? If he was alive, he would have thrown all in court that would have brought him in good money. Okay. So we have an unhinged commenter commenting on my drug letters video. I don't know. If, is a, that, it, is that it, what is, it is. It is. A year later. Oh, no, over like over a year and a couple months no. later. You know what's so funny? Like the people who think that they're like hardcore Bruce Lee fans mm-hmm. and yet they're only finding the drug letters video now. I go. Uh, I, I, I have a feeling you're not as hardcore of a Bruce Lee fan as you think you are if you're now just fine. Because this was the news cycle last they year. They commented this uh, three days ago. Yes, yeah. It, it, it is, yeah. It, it is from the, the, the drug fresh. letters one. So I still get people. Um, and, and I wonder, like, and this is why uh-huh. society is going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, man. People can watch a video. Love handbasket. Like, like the the drug letters video. I talk about the. I literally say uh-huh. these letters were on auction at the Heritage uh, uh, auction house. Right. And uh, they were discovered by you know, b- b- you know these are Bob Baker blah 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 blah. And here I am reading them, and the number of, pardon my French, dumbasses oh, who think I discovered the letters. And I'm reading the letters for the first time. Like, I'm the one releasing this bombshell, right? Uh-huh. 
And, uh, and, and there's some people who like clearly never saw the Kung Fu Genius podcast before. And they're like, oh my God, dude, you're making this all about you. And it's like, if you watch that episode, yeah. you really, first of all, that we had already done a number of episodes of the Kung Fu Genius at that point. So like the whole shtick on there, it's like, oh, you just, you haven't seen the shtick yet. So you just, you, this, the, if the first time you see me is the drug letters video, for sure you have like or, a, another idea. Of course. So. You, or maybe you think I don't like Bruce Lee and then you watch any other episode of kfg and then you're like oh yeah i think this guy actually kind of likes bruce lee um like really likes bruce Lee. boy uh so uh yeah i occasionally get these people who think i discovered the letters or i'm just reading it and then i made them up because mm. they're like well we're, we're the le-. and it's like first of all i wasn't even the first person to uh an, to talk about it a bloody elbow which is a uh, mixed martial arts website. They mm-hmm. obviously mostly report on mixed martial arts stuff. They actually reported because when um, the Bob Baker letters were given to the Heritage Auction House, uh, they you could actually see the letters on their website because they're wow. because they were trying to sell them, Ooh. and they were trying to sell the individual letters. And so hey. basically, all I did is I went there and I just screenshotted all fifty some out of the letters, and Jeez. then. Bloody Elbow did an article, um, you know, which talked about, you know, and that's on an MMA site, which are usually not super friendly to things like Bruce Lee and traditional martial arts. And they were the first ones to expose it. And I saw that and I was a little worried that um, this was going to catch fire by all the Bruce Lee haters. Mm. So I thought I, I would make a video where I kind of contextualized it a little bit, although I at that that video, I'm really just reading them in real time and finding this stuff out. Right. Okay. Um, but I did it. There's no judgment in that. People think there's a judge. Dude, I'm literally just reading what's in the letters. All right. So any kind of judgment you think it's it's you are the one projecting that. Like if you watch that video, because I'm just reading what's in the letters. All right. Um, and and I and and that bloody elbow article had already come out at the time that I made the that video. And Matt Polly had already like tweeted all about it and stuff like that. And it was slowly making the rounds. I wasn't even the first one to see it. Uh, Tony Valenti, who's like this Bruce Lee maniac out in uh, in Vegas, he mm-hmm. sent me a message and he's like, "Yo, would you see these? It's like all about weed and cocaine and LSD and oh. stuff." I'm like, "What?" what? And uh, I, I I read it and I was like, "Holy shite!" But it did explain a lot. And since that, you know. We've had so many episodes of this podcast where I think, you know, where people, especially they ask about his death and his behavior in the last year or two of his life. And I think that the the cocaine use, which was something we did not know about, definitely mm-hmm. explains a lot. Right. But, yeah, you occasionally get these unhinged comments like if Bruce Lee were alive, he would take you to court. Um, no, he mm. would. He would take Bob Baker's daughter to court because she's the one who gave the letters to the heritage. OK, this guy is a moron who cannot watch a video mm. and and. And learn and 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 realize what's going on. They they take these things so personally, right? And they just, even though I explained the whole history of the yeah. letters right at the beginning, they're just like, no, I'm exposing this stuff. It's like, did you even watch the video, you moron? So, um, man, yeah. Oh man. So I still get stuff like that. Oh man. All right, one more. I think we, uh, I don't know. It's up to the deanster. We got time for one more quick one. Awesome. All right. Let me uh, let me scroll down. Uh, oh no! no Next, no, 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 <laughs> Next no, no, up, no. we got uh, Dryzen. The quality just came down. Sorry, I mean, quality is Sorry, always good people. with Dryzen. Sorry, everyone. Dryzen is asking a hypothetical. 
Shocker. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just saying I'm shocked that he's asking a hypothetical. Like, it's never happened before. I, I'm never ever. shocked. All right, let's get to it. He said a quick one. All right. So, all right, let me uh, start reading. So, KFG Posse, peace, what's up? Shout out to the whole crew. Awesome episode with Frank Dukes. He's a, he's a, oh, I can't say that on, on, online, but he's, he's basically saying he's like a, a, a prick. Okay. All right. Like a prick. Uh-huh. But with the D. Right. Like a penis. Yes. All right. But with the D. With a D. All right. Like he's a Dennis. <laughs> he's a Donis. All right. Hey. All right. Uh, you uh, are home one day and your uh, your daughter asks you, yo, yo, dad, I want to learn how to skateboard. And you're like, what? And you're like so, so happy about it. And you say, all right, let's go to Astoria Park. I'm going to show you some, some ollies and... And some rail ridings and all that crazy stuff which I skaters do. I don't know. Right? Rail, so you take it to the rail park. Rail ridings. <laughs> what are those called? What huh? are those things called? That's what he wrote. Yeah. Grinding. Grinding. All so right. you, I'm going to show you some grinds. Right? See, so he, he edited it real quick. So so you, you, you get to the park. You're showing her some ollies. She's getting the ollies. Like, oh, wow, cool, Dad. And then you, uh, you, you start... Start doing some grinds on like the shorter poles, and then you get a little higher. She's like, "Oh wow, Dad, I wanna, I wanna try." It. He's like, "Wait, wait, wait! I gotta show you this one more." And you get onto that long rail, and all of a sudden your legs are in the air, like you see your feet right there in the air, and you're just like, "Oh, dip, bam!" And you come to. I was trying to write this stuff. Okay. He's right here. Yeah. You come to. Spoiler alert. You he doesn't. come to. Uh-huh. And you're on the ground pavement in front of the restaurant. As opposed to the ceiling pavement. <laughs> yeah, ceiling <laughs> pavement. Okay. You're in front of the restaurant union. Oh, God. Here we go. Yeah. Are. And you're like, what? You get up. Like, so damn, cheap. my back, so cheap. <laughs> back is crazy. Uh-huh. You get up and you're just like, what? And you notice you're mad tiny. 15-year-old tiny. Wow. <laughs> I want to know how Dryson always knows to ask questions about stuff that was touched upon in this episode. In the episode. That's I don't been know. Recorded. He's, That's he's been recorded. Good. That hasn't he's come out yet. time yeah. somehow. Yeah. Okay. So you like, yo, I'm in front of the restaurant union. You're looking around. You see all these awesome 50s cars and like we were like what is happening 60s you're like oh shit this must be the 60s let me go upstairs it would be the 50s if it's a restaurant okay true true that true that he he, he said (laughs) that right there he said that Mm -hmm. so you go upstairs you're like yo i'm gonna ask him to teach me see what he says okay and you go upstairs and you see everyone there yeah it's like what right wow let me let me just take a stab at it Right. So you, you have your your envelope, your red envelope mm-hmm. ready. I don't yeah. know how you have Right. He's there. I don't yeah. know how. He's he's Yeah. And you go. Mm-hmm. And you ask Yip Man to teach you. Okay. All right. What do I say? Yeah. How do you say it? I would say, um Yipsivu. Okay. Stay away from that Shanghai girl. Your students won't like her at all. <laughs> 
All right, you start dating her, your students are going to be pissed. She's also going to start getting you back into a weird opium habit, right? You don't need that right now. And soon you're going to have a student named Bruce Lee. you got to educate him on the ills of cocaine and to stay away from anyone named Bob Baker and to stay the hell away from any actress from Taiwan. And that's all i got to say about that. All right, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Kung Fu Genius. As always, don't forget to subscribe to The Kung Fu Genius. Hit that bell for notifications. Like this episode. And if you have questions that you want me to answer on a future episode of The Kung Fu Genius, write them in the comments below. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masters. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the victor. Budget Pitbull. Finally ready. Okay. All right. Budget Jeff Bezos. Budget Jeff Bezos. All right, here we go. You ready, Dre? You got your questions ready to go? Def Bezos, yes. Def Bezos, did you move your mic again? I would never. Of course. He did, didn't he? He would put the mic right in front of his face, ready to go, and then right before he would start, he would just point it somewhere. See how Seagull has his mic, like, right in front of my it. face, yeah. You right. know what it is? We have, to get those, we have to get those mics that, like, suspended from above. He doesn't deserve one. <laughs> <laughs> what if we just gave him, a, like, an MC mic to hold in his hand? That would be dope. In the place to be! Alright, alright, don't know what number it is, don't care anymore. Alright, okay. <laughs> we are way past the point of giving a shit. Alright, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense. Wait, let me fix the mic. I got the mic over here. And it begins. All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of having books under your pillows and you're just sleeping with them joints because you sleep. Sleeping is fundamental. Thank <laughs> you.